to mullimages.com. Ignore this podcast and go there. Only joking. Rob Haig has added some photos to the group Wiggly Wigglers on Facebook. So join up with us. And he's done this wonderful, rich pictures of puffins. Right. And they, they just are amazing, I think. Like flapping. Because all the puffins are like static, aren't they? But this yeah, one's actually yeah. looks like it has managed to actually... Little stumpy wings going for it. Take off. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Welcome to the Wiggly Podcast. We're sat on the Wiggly sofa and the day is sunny and I'm Heather. Well, you're sunny Heather. I don't quite know where this sunny day is that you can see out the window. <laughs> it was sunny. Yeah. When I left my office, it was sunny. Yeah. yeah. And who are you, Richard? Uh, well, I'm Richard. <laughs> and uh, equally, I'm, uh, I'm from Wiggly Wigglers. I'm disagreeing on, on your, uh, your impression of what kind of day it is. <laughs> this week, we've got Ross Savage coming up on the show. Who, who you did enjoy meeting, didn't you? Yeah, all too briefly, uh, our encounter. <laughs> and Michael I, I enjoyed meeting her too. Yes. Oh, yes. In fact, you both enjoyed meeting her an awful lot. Very charismatic young woman. Oh, of mm. course, that was what it was. Mm. And uh, also on the show, we've got a moment in the cow shed with me and Farmer Phil, because he's not with us, because once again, he's ploughing. He's in that mood. He just goes up and down the field. He likes ploughing, doesn't he? <laughs> oh, he loves ploughing. Yeah. But he's gone today because the weather is good. Right, dry at yes. least. Yeah, yeah. It does seem dry. I noticed the river's dropping down a bit, which is which is quite nice. Not to see it spewing all over the banks or just shimmering beneath the levels of the banks. And the reason that we're going out into the cow shed because Rob Haig, who's done this brilliant website, says this: "Congratulations on reaching a thousand on the Facebook site. Well, we're now at a thousand and sixty-eight, and the Dell thing. Everyone refers to it as the Dell thing because nobody." Quite knows what it was. No, no. And I feel the same myself, but it was good. Yeah. <laughs> and he says, by the way, what has happened to Farmer Phil and the cows? We haven't had a cow yard cast for ages. Cheers, Rob. So there we are. Instant reaction. Got it this morning. Went out to the cows with Farmer Phil. Let's hear what's going on before breakfast for the cows. You're with me and Farmer Phil outside the cow shed and we're going in, Farmer Phil, we're going in. <laughs> we're going to see what they're up to this morning. Oh, and I'm greeted by a lying down 63 who is now getting up in big style and having... A stretch and a poop. <laughs> That's very down to earth, Farmer Phil. Well, here's Abigail, who is still a pain. Oh, hello, Abigail. So, what have we got in here? Because we've got all sides. We've got furry little calves who are very furry. Is that because it's cold? Yeah. Or? What, what you've got here are the 25 or so cows who, for a variety of reasons, have got younger calves that they've carved later. Ah, this is the Phil Cockup. Well, it may be. It's, what, it's what, what the more commercial cattle breeders would say, I should have culled them for various reasons. But what we try and do is, if they've got a valid reason for not having a calf, 
i.e. that something went wrong or they weren't very well or whatever, then we put it right and accept the fact that we'll have a younger calf. And actually, it's not all wrong because it means that we have a proportion of the herd which is autumn calving, which gives us some calves to sell in the spring, which sometimes can be a good thing, selling them to go out to grass. Now, now, hang on a second, because I've been talking to various people about yeah, how one should run one's herd of cattle. And Charlie Walker, I know, would be saying, hang on a minute, Farmer Phil, this is not a commercial enterprise. And I know the chap next to me at the NFU dinner, very nice chap, would have said, no, no, this is not using the genes correctly. What you need to do is you need to go for the strongest possible cattle. The moment that there's a problem, they don't get in calf, then you cull them. And that is because then you get a very... Oh, at my bum goes out. Abigail pushing her head. Um, then you get a strong herd and you're not constantly fiddling about with your calving aid and pottering about and pretending oh, that you are needed. Has she got an itchy head? No, she's just a pain. Right. <laughs> I'll scratch her ears. Well, they're partly right, but the point is that at the moment, heifers, so replacement cattle, are vastly expensive. In a closed herd situation where you keep your heifer calves as breeding replacements, then I wouldn't keep any breeding replacements from this bunch of cattle. Right, now hang on. What's a heifer and what's a breeding replacement? A heifer is a young female cow. Who hasn't had a calf. Who hasn't had a calf. And so that we could and we are starting to this year, to keep some of our Angus Cross heifers as replacements for cows in the future. But you wouldn't want to keep them (coughs) out of this group because this group may have some questions about fertility or whatever. And so, Adin, that's a bit forward of you. Who's that? That's Adin the bull. Oh, He's not wanting a bit while we're having breakfast, Well, I think he's probably having a bit while we're having breakfast. Good Lord. (laughs) (laughs) And we won't go into the details of what's happening now, dear listener, but suffice to say, he's enjoying himself. (laughs) But the point is that there may be a question mark over the fertility of some of these cows so that we wouldn't keep a heifer out of these cows for that reason. And that's what they're on about, that you should keep stock out of the best stock, the most fertile stock and so on. But from my point of view, these cattle all pretty regularly have a calf and their own calving interval is about right. Yes, but I know that you're out here helping out with your, uh, well, it looks like a wallpaper brush every time they carve and they would say no farmer phil let nature be if the cow doesn't carve naturally cull the cow that is what they say but there are not many cattle farmers in this country who including them who will do that but you always intervene I you don't do, always you intervene. do no, that's you not mostly fair. you do no you don't <laughs> i don't do that i would think i help, actually help less than 10 percent of them is that right that is right yes I'll believe you. Now, listen, one last question to address before I go off and talk to Australia. (laughs) You know how it is in my schedule. Um, Now, the New Zealanders would say, you silly old Billy, you've brought these cattle into this shed. You're more likely to get pneumonia. You're more likely to get disease because, of course, they're in a, you know, they're in a space that they've got plenty of room, but they're in a 
a tighter space than in the field. On the, the ground is straw, which obviously they poop on. They're eating from the same uh, feed containers. Silly old Billy let them out into the field. And that, to me, would seem a wonderful idea because then it would be less intensive, more extensive. And they would just corral an area, put some wood chip down, and enjoy their life as a New Zealand farmer having cups of tea. Well, I've not been to New Zealand, but I understand the climate in New Zealand is somewhat different to here. I oh, know, it's supposed to be similar. I know my land, and I know that if these cattle were out on those fields, that they would be up to their guts in mud, and they would be losing condition fast, particularly the older ones. Any, any sniffing? Is Abigail in the microphone? Go away! If, if you put these cattle out in Herefordshire on our land, it will end in tears. And it will end in tears in a number of ways. The older cattle... Oh, Farmerville! The older cattle suffer very quickly from just having to struggle with the mud. Whereas we can put them in a well-ventilated shed like this. We don't have problems with pneumonia in these modern sheds. As you can see, the one side of the shed is completely open to the air... It's sunny, it's light, and it's airy. And these cattle will go down to Campston in a minute with their calves, and they will actually be put into a shed which has got a lot more space. That also helps to avoid problems with pneumonia and disease. So that, from my point of view, if I could sensibly manage them outside, I would, because it's all work in here. But the point is that if I put them outside, there'll be no grass in the spring, I'll have a field that looks like a moonscape, and I'll have to get rid of half of them because they won't cope with the conditions that I'm trying to keep them in. Nobody's listening, Farmer Phil. Not a soul. Are you secretly a corn baron or a cow farmer? Both, I think. Oh, a mixed farmer. Mm. You're in fashion. Mm. Goodbye. So, Rich, moo to you. Moo, moo. Yeah. You've got this moo thing, I, I've noticed. I, I asked you what the card was the other day that you were moo. getting a little excited about, and you said it's a moo. What does a moo stand for? It's a, a website called moo.com where you can go and do your own photos and produce your own business cards. Okay. And there's a little special moment for podcast listeners. If you email me, I will send you one of my moo cards. All right. Because you haven't got them yet. No, I haven't done no. yours yet. No, you yeah, keep these things secret from me, don't secret, you? You find yeah. out these little things and then you just you drop them in occasionally. I do. If you email me, I'll send you a little moo card wherever you are and there'll be a little message from me on there and a little deal to be done. Right. But this moo card is my favourite, which I'm going to keep forever. And they print these things up. You can go to this website and they print them as well, do they? Yeah, have a look. So you just the whole package, you know, you do it, fill it in, and you get it back in a little box of cards. Yeah, I only went there because I felt moo was to do with cows. Yeah. You yeah. know, yeah. so moo. Yeah. Yeah, your affinity for all things bovine-like. Exactly. You know. What a great website name. Right. Anyway, but look at this one. Look at, read what it says. Okay, read what it says. It does say it on the top, congratulations for your award. Continued success from... Alvin Hall, nonetheless. Oh! So, for the benefit of the listener, who is Alvin Hall? Well, he does this thing called Alvin Hall's World of Money on the telly, but I listen to him on Radio 4, right. and he does a programme about DOSH and stuff, and right. the stock market. He was a stockbroker in on the New York Stock Exchange, okay. and he, he he says things like, if you if this money your money, Heather, it would be this big if it was a cake. Right. And he said to me, oh! It's so lovely to meet you, Heather. And I was thinking, oh, does he think that? Because yeah. in the airport, <laughs> this diva 
drifted through with some minders and I thought, oh, uh, who's that? So I asked who that was, ready to go up to and say hello yeah, in yeah, my way. Yeah. And I didn't know who it was. But the, the chap opposite said, there's Alvin Hall. Right. Have I told you this story? No, no, you haven't. I've probably no. told you this story a hundred times, no. but I've told everyone. I bet no. I've said this on the podcast a no. hundred times. No. Anyway, there he was in the queue, right. in this gorgeous camel coat. Right. And Sam and Rachel sat there, and I just got up, and they went, no, no. And I went up to him, and he was on his phone, so I waited, you know, politely. Yeah. And I said, oh, I said, Elvin... Um, my name's Heather, so I just have to tell you that I listened to your show on Radio 4 and when you went round all those different banks, Lehman Brothers and all those things and interviewed those people, it was really moving. Because yeah. it was. And he yeah. said, oh, thank you so much, thank you, thank you, thank you. That's very kind of you all. Just say that. Uh. And, I said, <laughs> and I said, I'm Heather from Weekly Wigglers. And he said, Weekly Wigglers, what do you do? And I said, well, we do this wormy thing. He said, why are you going to New York? And I said, well, we've won this Dell thing. He said, oh, that's amazing. I'll look you up on the internet. He was lovely. Right, right. And I um, went back and the others, were, they got their heads in their hands. They were so embarrassed yeah. of me. Yeah. But I thought, you know, sometimes... Oh, you've got to do that sort of thing. You've got to take yeah, a chance. You've learnt me that, Rich. I've learnt you that. Have <laughs> 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 I really? Well, that's quite enc- well, that's encouraging. you that. I'm sorry. That's really good. Well, I'm glad that that's the I've case. I've got I, that. If that's, a, that's a contribution I've made to your, your general demeanour and, and behavioural patterns, and that's the thing that I'm proud of achieving. If you could just learn me English... <laughs> Teach me uh, English. <laughs> if I could just find out how to speak English. Well done, well done. Yeah, well, there you are, you see. So, opportunity, sort of, uh, you're omnipresent now in his, in his mindset. And if you hadn't have gone up there, of course, you, then you wouldn't have been a feature in his uh, psychology at all. Wow. Listen, you, I want to know about rats in right. the garden because. Okay. There's a moment in time where the Wiggly Wigglers email is rat infested. And <laughs> yeah. that moment is now. Yeah. Oh, we've got rats. Oh, what, how do we deal with this? This is the most dreadful thing. We're going to die of rats any yeah. second now. Yeah. Is it just Wiggly customers? Are no, we causing a rat issue? We've got, this, we've got one, of the, on the, uh, one of the Facebook uh, discussion topics is about rats as well, I noticed. And I kind of had a squiz the other day and it reminded me of a nice little story <laughs> from my dodgy youth when uh, I was working down in North Devon on a fishery and uh, I, was, I think I was probably mowing around the lake. And I found a rat's nest, you know, as, I, as, as you do. Uh, inside this rat's nest were all these tiny, uh, fairly newborn, bald, pink, blind little James rats. James Herbert. Yeah, so <laughs> James Herbert. So I bent down and uh, gently picked these things up and, uh, and threw them into the lake. As you do, <laughs> right? But that wasn't the uh, that wasn't the, that wasn't the funniest bit. I mean, I kind of perhaps I'd be slightly low. No, I'd probably still do the same thing now, actually. But the funniest thing was, is the next day we went out and we we, we used to net the we used to get full of blanket weed, fill them up with algae, and, and we used to net that with a seine net to take it out. A seine net. A seine net. Yeah, long net that you pull around in the shape of a crescent. You know, oh, I know. And then you pull it onto the back. Yeah. Pulls the weed out, and we, every time we did that, we always used to catch eels because they'd get entangled into the, in the blanket weed. 
Uh, and so we would skip the eels, skin them, and in eat them. So, of course, we had a couple of eels that following day, and I gutted them and found those baby rats inside the eels that I gutted, oh. <laughs> which is kind of weird. And I uh, so I remember that, a, a rat eating... story just popped into my into my. I do psyche. hope you're not eating your tea, and if you are, that it's not anything wiggly like octopus or anything. Yeah, but but uh, I, I did a talk last night, and uh, again, everybody wanted to talk about rats. It's just a time of year, you know, they move, they're moving out of the countryside and they're looking for warm refuge, so they're trying to get into compost heaps and people's sheds and things like that for the winter. Now, last night someone was telling me about uh, how she thought that all her song thrushes had lost their clutches because of the rat infestation they had this year, which, which is quite likely. And uh, Her dog was going round around this bush, really, really interested in this bush, and she couldn't see what it was that the dog was really interested in until she looked up, kind of head height, and there was a song thrush's nest there, and inside the song thrush's nest was this rat curled up, just kind of sleeping in the song thrush's nest. So this was back in the summer, so the thing had probably gone, gone in there and feasted on all the eggs and thought, oh, you know, have a sleep now. So yeah, there's every chance that the rats would wipe out... But what have you got nests. in for them? You know, there would be an argument to say they were all part of the natural ecosystem i mean yeah, i hate them myself they, I mean, uh, they, they probably oh, i can't really think of any good why rats are significant ecologically i think we could probably do without them to be perfectly honest i don't think that would make a huge difference if we didn't have uh, brown rats but they are hideous to the extent that they do spread bad diseases uh, and they, they reckon that a large proportion of the, of the population now carry Bars disease, leptospirosis, which is a virus. And a couple of friends of mine have had uh, leptospirosis, both of whom were really, really ill. And, uh, and the, the one guy, he was putting out his bin bags one day, or at least this is how the doctor thinks he contracted leptospirosis, and there was probably some rat's urine on the top of the bin bag, and uh, he got it into an abrasion or a cut on his hand, and he was really, really ill, hospitalised ill, wanting to die ill, because it's like it flu, proper flu, influenza, not bad cold flu, uh, but ten times not worse. Not man flu. No, not man flu. No. It's particularly unpleasant and there is a there is a there's a real chance that if um if you've got very moist compost that that virus can say if it dries out it will die but um you know it can uh, stay alive in solution for a long long time so so wildlife lover and biodiversity enthusiast and jolly good chap richard are you advocating (laughs) automatic Shotgun. Yes, yeah, well, the problem with rats, of course, as well, is that they, they're, they're very cunning. So, yeah. uh, so you know, I do, absolutely. I think there's only one, there's only one good rat, and that is a dead one, uh, in much the same way as cats. Oh, no, did I say that? Sorry. <gasps> I don't want to get into that subject. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I do apologise. It just, I just <laughs> slipped out. Sorry. Anyway. <laughs> if we could just keep on the subject, but of course, because, of course, cats do control People always rats. say, how do you, to a point, but it's uh, often rats are far too big for cats. And keep to the point. They're cowardly, aren't they, cats? So they don't usually <laughs> like to uh, face their enemy. Uh, so anyway, but no, <laughs> back, to, back to the whole rat thing. They, um, they, uh, people want to use poison to kill rats, and unfortunately poison is kind of indiscriminate. Oh, so there was the answer. Did no, you hear yeah, the cat? Yeah, no, just, just put in, her, put in her, his, <laughs> uh, his, his penithin. Yeah, here we come. Uh, so, uh, yeah, difficult one, rats. But um, He's you going know, you straight can, you over can trap to Richard. And, uh, and all sorts of things. Just coming but, up on the sofa. Here we go. Yeah, hello, Noah. That's, isn't that weird? But at least he's come to you instead of me. He will come to me in a minute, just to be just out of spite. Yeah. <laughs> so listen, not everyone's going around with a 
shotgun in the kitchen like Farmer Phil. Not mm. that, I mean, it's obviously locked up in the cabinet yeah, with a full right, licence. Yeah. Thank you very much, the police authorities. Poison's the easy option. Yeah, poison's the easy option. But uh, live traps, you know, where you can bait, put a little bit of food in there. They do work, but they tend to only work when there's no other food around. So if you're trying to catch your rats, stop feeding the birds for that moment in time or stop putting foodstuffs in your compost heap so that they don't have a, a readily available source of, of tasty treats. You know, the tastiest treat is inside the, the cage trap. But listen, Rich, mm. you know, for my part, rats really give me the heebie-jeebies. You know, I, I would be as likely to catch a live rat as fly to the moon. Yeah. Because I would just be scared, just witless. Yeah, yeah. So that's not going to... I mean, most people can't... They can't bear to do that. Is it just we've got to get over it? Or? Yeah, quite possibly. Yeah, it's just, I think... I mean, I've seen Jodie chop a rat's head off with a spade. Right. And <laughs> I mean, she went up in my estimation, yeah, yeah. big style. Yeah, yeah. You know, that is a woman yeah, with substance. Yes, absolutely. But I... Yeah would have by now run to Hereford. <laughs> right, right, OK. Yeah, no, they are, they are unpleasant things, and they're just, uh, just something about them. I mean, I, I've had several at home this year, and uh, I hope Sarah doesn't listen to this, because if she says, have we got rats? I say, no, 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 no. <laughs> and, uh, but they get in the compost heap just below the chicken run, uh, and it's got a nice warm place, and then you can see their little runs. And what I do is, uh, get, is have, have a, take a fen trap, put them on the runs, make a tunnel out of some old... Um, off-cut boards so that nothing else can get in there and put the fen trap on the run and, on. and they're suckers for, for tunnels you know because they like to go in dark and the advantage spaces. of the fen trap is it's already dead then yeah it's dead yeah yeah that's yeah. right it's dead it's, it's kind of in many respects fen traps are sort of more humane than humane traps yeah they work very well but um there is a knack of, we don't supply them because there is a kind of knack of using them and there is every chance that you can really hurt your hands if you if you sprung a fen trap on your hands so, so for the less adventurous yeah then, you know, for the heathers in this world who really don't want to face this problem, yeah. should we get our pest controller in but say, don't use poison, use traps? Is yeah, that yeah. the answer? Yeah, you can do that, definitely. Because the local authority, I mean, the, the guy that comes here, he does various things, but also um, he puts down little nipper mouse traps and, uh, and fen traps to catch rats. You know, if he sees where rats are running regularly, he'll put a fen trap down in a tunnel, cover it over so nothing else can get in there, apart from the rat that'll squeeze its way through. That's definitely possible. If you've got, um, you, know, you can ring a local authority and ask for the pest control, or they will have a list of pest controllers. And lastly, the compost heap. You must have put off everyone now, all around the world, from having a compost heap because it's warm, yeah. and that's where the rats will yeah. shelter. Yeah. Uh, so uh, could you just fix Wiggly Wiggler's business back? You're right. <laughs> yeah, well, compost heaps are uh, hugely important for everything. I mean, this is the uh, everything likes to make its home in a compost heap because it is it's warm. It's relatively watertight. You've got what is essentially a, a three foot thatch above your head. You know, when you're <laughs> in the bottom of it, and you, you can't just have a compost heap because there is a chance that you you may get rats in there. If you've got rats in your compost heap, you know, lift your compost heap. Don't add foodstuffs to it. You know, move it around things like that, and then. And the, the rats will definitely vacate the premises then. And can of worms, the can of worms, you've got to give a plug for can of worms because you don't get rats in your No, you don't. Worms. Nothing with worms, is it? They're great things in that respect because they're above the ground, completely rodent-proof. You know what? I've never heard of a, an instance of uh, anybody uh, having problems from rodents or even foxes or anything like that. 
to uh, keep a can of worms. Nor me, but I've no doubt this week will be the week. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, on Facebook, if anyone's not joined our Facebook group, go along, because we're now at lots and lots of members. There's a thing called Wiggly Office Quote of the Day. And before we go to Ros Savage, I just wanted to ask you about this particular one. It says, Karen says, <clears throat> phone call, Rich. The bad news is one of your buildings is falling down. Richard Oh, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's... Uh, I think it was last, last week. I just came... I, I, I'd been out setting up at Bits and Bobs for a, a local place that having an open day on a, on the weekend. I got back into the office and Karen quite literally said that. Oh, Richard, uh, Sarah's been trying to get hold of you. Uh, one of your buildings is falling down. And I said, oh... Oh, that's all right. Because I could, I, I knew which one she was talking about. <laughs> what happened is I'd taken down a, a lean-to on the on the end of the the cottage, and uh, I'm going uh, to re- rebuild it and um, and create a nice den and nookie and things like that. Uh, of course, I'd taken down the guts of the building, the main frame, and left just the the facade. You know, in oh, the, like a cowboy in the, in the film. Yeah, pretty much like that, exactly yeah. like that, because I didn't really have much support. And unfortunately, uh, Mary's mum comes over, and she brings over when she comes over, she brings over a bag of her shredded envelopes and paper to feed to my worms. Right, so uh, so she uh, unwittingly opened the door to go into the shed with her, because there was nothing in it. There was just this, just, you know, this, this uh, these. Uh, Big old elm boards, red boards on the, on the front. So she goes in there, opens the door, and the whole thing leans towards her. And, and the only thing that kept it upright was the fact that the door had swung open, and it was kind of jamming at right angles to this to this front of this building. Because really, it could have been curtains for Mary. If it's that scene of the shed folding she, in yeah, with her stood in the middle of the door. Exactly right. That's exactly what. Well, I mean, that would have been if that had happened. That would have been relatively entertaining. And. Uh, I'm sure so, it would have been. But it could have gone either way, and she, she may well have been caught behind the door, in which case it would have been curtains. I'd have been, I'd have been uh, picking up flat mother-in-law from, uh, from the folly, so I'm glad that that didn't happen. Yes, yes, another accident at yeah, the folly. Yeah. So, yeah, so, they, so the women of the folly uh, propped up the front of the thing, and, and quite literally in the morning... Because uh, the reason I kept it there is because we've got, we've got guests staying in the cottage, you see. Oh, yeah, so we can kill them. Aesthetically pleasing. So it's when they go up there, you know, they see that, you know, they don't see like a mixer and, you know, sort of blocks and things like that. Oh, they I'm they with just you. see this thing. Of course, in the morning, uh, I noticed that the, the, the people had gone out, and uh, so I, I was kind of, I went out there and took, they quite literally kicked the supports away from the front of it, and the whole lot just went. <laughs> And, uh, and on the floor, and I took it apart, and and unfortunately, uh, Mary was stood right in front of the building. <laughs> Here we have Monty's Montycast, a wiggly fact on wiggliness. Montycast, a weekly fact on wiggliness. Burying Bukashi compost in the garden will supply plants with a nourishing food source and condition the soil with enriching microbes. Another Montycast, a weekly fact on wiggliness. Next week. Thank you, Monty. I was supposed to be on the ITN News last night. They cut it. <laughs> that's, oh, a shame. that's a shame, isn't it? What a shame. They said it wasn't as good news as the other news. You were. <laughs> oh, what a shame. Here we are, uh, Rich. Right. Ros Savage turned up and uh, met you last week. Gorgeous Ros. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, you gave me a, a very naughty stare of go away, Heather. <laughs> what was that about, Rich? <laughs> oh. <laughs> I don't think uh, yeah, it's a shame, really. Is Ross coming back at all? <laughs> <laughs> so, is she going to come back to Blakemere for, for future conversations? Or, I don't know. Uh, Why? Probably not. Well, well, if she does, I think you 
Perhaps she should be out that day. <laughs> anyway, Ross came to talk to me because she was doing this mastermind thing with Australis Media, which I've been doing this morning and will do tonight. But it turned out that she was much more interested than I was, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> and so I interviewed her because she actually has given up her job and has become an environmental campaigner. Yeah. And the way that she raises awareness is to get off her butt or get onto her butt and row across oceans. Yeah, pretty formidable stuff. It's amazing, it? Isn't is it is amazing stuff, yeah, yeah. And she has rowed across the Atlantic and she's in the middle of rowing across the Pacific, but of course she pops home a bit. You know, she does stage by stage on the Pacific. Yeah. So here we go. Here's Roz on the Wiggly Sofa. Dear Wiggly listener, every now and again, a little moment happens at Wiggly Wigglers. Something a little strange happens. And the other day, a lady emailed me and she said she was called Roz. And that I must uh, read this email because she had rowed across the Atlantic. And I thought, I must read this email. This woman has rowed across the Atlantic. And now she's sat on the Wiggly sofa. (laughs) And I think she's probably... Seven stone or something. I wish. (laughs) Considerably more than that. Certainly considerably more than I was when I arrived in Hawaii three months ago. Let me feel your muscles. (laughs) Now, why have you rowed across the Atlantic, you lunatic? Did the sea take you and you just sat in the boat? That's it. I was just sitting there on the beach one day. Next thing I knew, I'm out in the middle of the ocean. What's a girl to do but carry on rowing? Um... No, I suppose it was a bit of an early midlife crisis. I'd worked in an office for 11 years. and No windows? Not many windows, <laughs> just lots of cubicles, uh, grey cubicles, all rather depressing. And so I just really felt like there had to be something more interesting to do with my life. And rather through a, a series of events, rather than a, a sudden epiphany, decided that rowing across oceans was going to be that more interesting thing. Had you a um, history of this problem? <laughs> <laughs> No, I seemed quite normal for many years. Um, My mother was very happy. She could sleep well at nights. But I just got fed up with doing this job I didn't like to buy stuff I didn't need. I went through, actually, quite a period of soul-searching because when I realised that all this stuff that I'd worked all my life to acquire didn't actually make me happy, it was like I had to overhaul my entire value system. It was like, well, if if things aren't the path to happiness, then what is? And a very key phrase that I read in a book by a a one-legged Welsh sailor was, the only true riches in life are to be found between your ears. So I decided that in order to build up those those riches, I suppose, um, it would be good to take on some kind of character-building challenge. And the place where I was in my life at that stage, I'd also become a bit of a born-again environmentalist. So whatever I did, I wanted it to be environmentally low impact. So in that's fact, you just do. refused a wiggly catalogue, haven't you? And I felt quite proud of you. (laughs) Well, I'm glad you weren't offended. Not at all. Um, Yes, I'm a a homeless nomad these days, so I try not to acquire stuff. And my immediate thought when you offered me the catalogue was, I wonder where the next recycling bin's going to be, because I wanted to look through it. But then I thought, well, it's probably available online, and I'd love to look at it there, and then it saves me the hassle of trying to find a recycling bin. And also... 
it's just better to reduce rather than to recycle because recycle has got so many costs in itself and has a significant carbon footprint. So I'm so glad that you didn't take offence at that. Not at all. In fact, if there's any Wiggly customers out there who hate receiving their catalogues, you just give us a ring and we'll be happy to take you off the list. Of course... For those of you, like me, who read it in the bath, (laughs) what you need to do is, when you're fed up of it, pass it on to a friend or take it to the library or put it in the doctor's surgery. It's entertainment in the doctor's surgery, I know, because when I go to the doctor's, there's always one of ours in there. Now, listen, Ross... That's an excellent idea. Yeah, Yeah. listen, Ross, so you set off on this journey. Yes, I did the Atlantic three years ago, and now I'm just one-third of the way through my mega-project, which is to row alone across the Pacific and I'm doing this in three stages so this summer just gone I rode from San Francisco set out under the Golden Gate Bridge and I rode to Hawaii which took me 99 days and that stage of the row was all about the North Pacific garbage patch and all this plastic that's getting into the oceans and getting into our seafood and ultimately ending up on our dinner plates and um, that's not really what you want to be eating So when you row Mm. you're also communicating a message That was why the rowing was such a perfect project for me, was because I felt at that stage in my life when I made this rather bizarre decision that I was starting to get a few things figured out that were making me personally feel a bit happier with my life, Um, that I was placing less emphasis on stuff and more on just the person that I was. I also found that it made me feel good just to live with more respect for the environment. It just seemed intuitively right to live that way and so um, one of the reasons that rowing across oceans seemed really perfect was because it is a bit of an attention grabber and it does give me an opportunity to communicate with people which I do through my blogs and my podcasts and my videos a bit like you do with Wiggly Wigglers and I definitely try not to preach at people I just say well here's some stuff that I've tried out both on the environmental side, but also on the psychological side, those little life lessons. Because rowing across an ocean is really, really hard. Um, When I first set out across the Atlantic three years ago, I was literally and metaphorically so far out of my depth. I really struggled with those little negative voices in my head, those voices of self-doubt and fear and, oh my word, what was I thinking? And I should just get back to my office cubicle and forget about this crazy idea. Unfortunately, when you set out to row across an ocean, I set out from the Canaries and the trade winds there mean that basically once you set out, you can't change your mind and turn around and row back again (laughs) because the wind's blowing you too strongly towards uh, the Caribbean. So pretty much I was a prisoner on my own boat and I just had to figure out how I was going to deal with this mentally without going totally crazy in mid-ocean. And it was a very, very steep learning curve, but I really did learn a lot out there. Those are little life lessons. I I do some motivational speaking now. I, I really enjoy just telling my stories to people, and a lot of them find something really useful to take home with them and apply it to their own challenges, whether that's the challenge of parenting or running a small business or running a marathon or whatever. Occasionally, people say, you know what, Rosie said something really sensible there. How long did it take you to get over those self-doubting moments? You know, when you were out there, I mean, gosh, 24 hours on your own. You see, the reason I asked you what you have for tea yeah. was because I would be thinking, I know, 
what is my next meal going to be? Absolutely. I spent a lot of time thinking about food out there. It did become <laughs> quite an obsession. Um, part of the reason that rowing across oceans appealed so much was because I thought, woohoo, I'll be able to eat 5,000 calories a day. I'll be able to eat as much as I want. But unfortunately, I sort of overlooked the fact I wouldn't be able to eat what I wanted. So I'm out there in the middle of the ocean with a massive ice cream craving and there's nothing I can do about it. Has it made you much more self-disciplined then? In some ways, um, I've always been fairly self-disciplined. In fact, maybe now I'm in some ways less disciplined because now I'm a bit more go-with-the-flow of things, where I used to be very much a woman with a plan, and I had my blinkers on, and I was just heading straight for that goal. And now I think I'm a bit more open to opportunities. I've taken the blinkers off, and I've realised that there's a lot of really good stuff going on around me and a lot of good opportunities trying to present themselves to me when I'm not just so obsessed with that one very specific... Now, I know you're an environmentalist and you're very keen on getting that message out. Mm. Actually, I hesitate to call myself an environmentalist because there are so many people who know so much more about the environment than I do. I'm just a very concerned layperson that actually wants to live on a nice, clean planet when I'm 80 years old. And the way we're heading at the moment, I we're not quite heading in the right direction. So if I can do my little bit to try and haul us back on track and try and preserve this planet as, as best we can, then that's what I'm trying to do. If you're sitting at home now, dear listener, and thinking, well, that's unbelievable. You know, there's no way that I would give up my home and, you know, life to go and row across the Atlantic... That's exactly what I'm thinking myself. Um, (laughs) It's not the obvious path to happiness, I suppose. (laughs) But is there something key that you've learnt from that? You know, is are we have we all gone mad so that we're you know we've got too structured a day? If there was some little thing that you would say to me or to that listener that could alter what we think, what would it be? What have you found from this experience? Because we all can't go rowing around the world. It would get really crowded out there on the ocean. Yeah. One thing that I found very empowering for me personally is that no challenge is too big to be accomplished when you break it down into tiny little pieces. So, uh, for example, to row from San Francisco to Hawaii took me about one million oar strokes, 100 days roughly, at about 10,000 strokes a day. And if I'd have stood under the Golden Gate Bridge and said, well, one oar stroke isn't going to make any difference, then I wouldn't have got anywhere. But you take lots of tiny little actions and you put them all together and it makes a really huge difference. And I like to take that and apply it to the environment as well because I think sometimes sometimes I personally feel overwhelmed by all the bad news about the environment and it's easy to think, we're all doomed and there's nothing I can do that's really going to help. But I think if we really all pull together and we all do our own little bit then it really does accumulate. And I think that, for me, that was a really powerful lesson. And I apply it to all kinds of things. Like, I've just finished writing my book about the Atlantic Row, which is going to come out next year. What's it called? Quick plug. Oh, my God. Well, actually, if you go to my website today, we're doing an online survey because the title of the book has become very controversial. (laughs) We've got, like, six contenders at the moment. So I'm asking (laughs) people to vote on the title of the book. What's the favourite at the moment? At the moment, it's other, which means a lot of people have been coming up with their own ideas. Um, But at the moment, I would say Notes from a Small Boat has got a narrow lead over Savage Solo. Ah, yes. Yes. Not one woman in a boat. No. No. Somebody wanted to 
my agent, who I hope never listens to this podcast, yes. wanted to call it Rowing Alone Across the Atlantic, which I'm afraid made me want to shoot myself. <laughs> oh dear, I think you should sack him. Oh, <laughs> Thanks, Ros, very much for coming on the show. It's, it's been, been a, pleasure. a pleasure to meet you and what an inspiration. I can almost feel another bike ride coming on. <laughs> oh no. If you want to know more about Ros, go to www.rozsavage.com. Till next week, Ricardo. Until next week, young Heather. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.